and Curtis Blair making their all-star debuts and here we go 68th all-star game and Giannis in control last year fouls called some steals still right here George off the backboard and now I know we're at an all-star game as Giannis is able to put it down the lead pass and it's Durant with the bucket obviously team Giannis has the side Coming up short, that was deflected short, and Giannis ahead of the field. <laughs> That's it. What else? Puts I'm it in. He's having his own dunk contest. Supposed to dominate an all-star game. Welcome to the Free Association Podcast. I'm Donovan Bennett, and I'm once again with Tyler Ennis, who had his own little all-star break, but he's back spitting some knowledge about the league. Dude, you've been around all-star. Like, you've been there. What'd you make of this year's all-star in Charlotte? I think just because the city wasn't as big, I think in Toronto, I feel like there was so much going on. And obviously I wasn't in Charlotte, but it just seemed like guys kind of just did their bid, like whatever they're there for, and then just kind of bounced. You know, I've seen a lot of guys playing the rookie game and, and leave before the dunk off and things like that. So I don't know, the All-Star weekend kind of feels more like an accomplishment, but I don't think guys are pressed to, to really be there and, and kind of enjoy it as much as I feel like in, in recent years. Well, Danny Green did the three-point on Saturday night, and before the game started on Sunday, he was already, like, on an island chilling. Right, right, and that's uh, half the thing, because I heard LeBron say something about, you know, team's going to get more of a rest than he is, and you kind of look at it as, you know, a way to kind of take a break and, and get away from basketball, you know, either before the playoffs start or before your last, you know, 25 games comes up. So for the, the best player, and obviously being an all-star is, you know, once-in-a-lifetime chance, but he's been there, what, 16 years in a row or whatever, so I think he's looking at it more as, you know, a chance to get away for four or five days and, and whatnot as opposed to spending time in Charlotte because I don't think that's that's where he wants to be. Yeah, I heard he went away before the game and then after the game, so basically he was in Charlotte for, like, the couple hours. Know, <laughs> Habitat for Humanity. I'm going to, you know, use a couple hammers and build the fake house and have all-star game practices and talk to Ernie Johnson and Kenny Smith, and then he pieced out. Right, right. I mean, uh, when I played with the Rockets, I know James, uh, I think it was in New Orleans, and we played in New Orleans, and the coaches gave him a couple extra days even after we reported back to, to Houston to start practicing just because they're there from Friday to Sunday, and then they get, I think, two or three days after that, you know, before they have to start the season. And usually the All-Stars are the guys that are playing big minutes. So, you know, I think it's more beneficial for them to, to get an extra few days, and I think LeBron... Kind of using that to an advantage, he could basically fly out when he wants and fly quickly to Charlotte and get right out. So I'm, I'm not surprised about that, honestly. Yeah, I guess it's a different lifestyle. To me, I'm like, man, you're in like three different countries in three days. But right. when you got the PJ, when you got the private jet, yeah, that's you can not, go anywhere. Yeah, it's not, not really anything. You don't got to worry about baggage and stuff when you have no. That, so. He's not worrying about customs. He's he's ordering flights like I'm ordering Ubers. <laughs> the game though itself, to me, the game was worth watching. Solely for Steph's bounce past Giannis, right? Like it may have been, and you can appreciate this as a as a guard. It may have been like the best bounce pass I've ever seen, the best oop I've seen. Period, and like the best finish on the other end because Giannis's head was at the rim and right. his hand was at the top of the box. Here's Curry with a high bounce pass. I think that pass was for going to Joel, but I was able to sneak in there and uh, make it look a like good pass for me. People are like, oh, you know, you got to have these guys pick teams, and so it's more competitive, and so on and so forth. And maybe it's a bit 
competitive at the end, and you're getting some bench reacts when mm. teams are making a run. But I'm going to be honest. I don't really care if the game's competitive. I just want to see amazing plays. And so that means I don't want you switching on defense and picking guys up at half court. Right, right, But right. that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an all-star game. And no matter what age group you you watch, and this is obviously the, the highest level, but, you know, it's hard to ask guys that are making max money, $40 million a year, $35 million a year. I read something where they were, where they were kind of basing the all-star game on where to play the playoffs and home court advantage and stuff like that. But it's hard. These guys are playing so much minutes. You know, you're asking them on a break when the rest of the league is on islands relaxing to come in and, and play. So you'll see a few guys playing hard. I think Giannis plays hard. A few other guys, but for the most part, they're out there to have fun and kind of enjoy the experience. And, you know, I think the fans want them to go at it. And I think it's very few all-star games where you see guys really play from start to finish. Yeah, you want to see guys go at it until your favorite player gets hurt playing the right, All-Star game. Right, in the All-Star game, and then your whole season's down the drain. Right, so. falling into a camera or something like that. Baseball's done it with, oh, this game counts, this game matters, and it's going to be home field advantage in the World Series. I mean, that hasn't really solved it because, I mean, they once had a tie because they couldn't just have guys out here throwing forever. Right, right, right. Um, and if you're not on a team that's, going to be in the finals. Like, D'Angelo Russell's happy to make the playoffs. He's not going to the finals. Mm -hmm. Does he care if Team Giannis, which would would have been maybe, let's say, the East, if it was still East and West, gets home court advantage in the finals? I don't think he cares. Ultimately, I think the game is just about, like, the great memories. Like, you know, Shaq dunking on T-Mac and then, like, you know, kissing him on the head. (laughs) T-Mac throwing it off the glass. Like, those are the things I remember. Magic hitting a bunch of threes in a row when he came back. The other thing I remember, though is the dunk competition, mm-hmm. right? Like, to me, the All-Star Weekend is more about the individual skills than the actual game. And the dunk competition used to be the ultimate. Now I feel like the three-point may be, like, maybe right. it should go last. Like, maybe that's what people care about. Right. Is the dunk competition dead? Because I kind of think it's, like, dying a slow death. It is. I mean, I feel like you, they're kind of running out of things to do. I know you see people jump over stuff now, and... You know, we've seen it through the legs. We've seen basically every variation of it. So I feel like there's only so much dunks that they could create on the fly. And I think Aaron Gordon was really good at that. He kind of used the whole hoverboard and whatever. But I think I I was more interested to watch the skills. You have Jokic out there. You have the big guys. And then you have the three-point. So, you know, I think the dunk-off is dying. It's been dying for a few years. I think the the last good one we really had was Zach and and, uh, Aaron Gordon. But even before that, I, I can't even pick out a... Uh, dunk off where I was really impressed with the entire roster or a few guys. It's it's really just you know the the guys who have the the most hops. You throw them in there and then hopefully you get one of the guys that they make up some dunks. But it's so hard at this point you know to to jump over cars because all of that stuff's been done. So you see a bunch of you know repetitive dunks at this point. But yeah, they're basically just twists off of dunks that we've seen before. Right. You see the jerseys, you see, you know, uh, people kind of uh, honoring people that played, you know, Larry Johnson or the Vince Carter, but at some point we just got to either do something about the dunk off because maybe maybe add more people or less people or, you know, whatever the case is, just because I think it is dying. And it used to be my favorite as a kid growing up thing to watch. The other thing is the attempts. Like, you can't be out here for three minutes trying to complete a dunk. Right. Like, once you don't, completed on your first attempt first two then it kind of takes the air out of the room because people know what you're going to do the the amazing thing about vince was he completed everything off the top first time um and that's why gordon and levine their dunks were so crazy especially you know in the ulster game that you referenced 2016 because 
when it went to basically overtime, they were had to make things up on the fly. Right. So they were actually surprised when they finished them because it's mm-hmm. the first time they ever tried it. But you don't have two guys who push each other like that. I'm holding out hope for next year when we have Zion potentially. Giannis has tweeted about the fact that maybe he'll get in it. Then Donovan Mitchell's like, yo, if you're in it, I'm in it. If you bring Diallo back who went up against Zion in an Under Armour elite uh, high school tournament, then maybe maybe it gets its luster back. But but right now, I've kind of slept on it. Before we actually talk a little bit more All-Star, I want to pivot since I'm referenced Zion. I mean, everyone at, by now saw my guy's shoe explode, mm-hmm. which is, I've, I've said to people, you need to watch Duke games as much as that pains me to say, because Zion at any moment could do something you've never seen before. Right. Blocking shots, he's jumping as high as he is far. All-star game dunks in a real game. I've never seen someone's shoe explode. Like, have you ever seen that in all the basketball you've played and watched? I've never seen one explode like that. I've seen shoes, you know, rip. I've seen a lot of things happen. Actually, when I played with P.J. Tucker in, in Phoenix, he would wear a bunch of old shoes and classics, and his would always rip just because they're from, he's wearing a shoe from 1990. <laughs> you know, like, wearing a 20-year-old shoe, of course you're, 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 they're going to rip. And But I've never seen a shoe explode like that. And I think... You know, with his weight and the way he's moving, I don't think shoes are used to a guy, what is he, 300 pounds almost? Yeah. You know, moving like a guard. So uh, I've seen Nike and and different people tweet about, you know, him having a signature shoe. And I think it might play into his hands that Nike now has to kind of pay more attention or even more attention to him now that he's made their stocks go down, whatever, a billion dollars and whatnot. So I think in in money-wise, it's going to end up helping him when he when he comes out and, and he's, you know, negotiating a deal with Nike. Yeah, you can't wear test for a guy that big. No, not that at strong all. and that fast, cutting that hard. The, that G-force is nuts. Puma immediately tweeted about it. And so you can see people either it's going to be a story for the brand that he signs with against Nike or it's going to be Nike's story to tell about like, yo, this is the strongest shoe ever because it's made right. for Zion. So I actually think he made himself some money. Right, exactly. I think so too. And I think that's why we see, you know, you have the big man shoe and, and you have a guard shoe. So really you just see guards and forwards wearing Kobe's and then you see the big guys kind of wearing the more bulky, you know, kind of protecting them shoe. LeBron soldiers. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, I don't think fans or regular everyday fans are are noticing that. And that's why I think you see guards and forwards have more of a signature shoe as opposed to, you know, giving Yao Ming or Shaq a shoe just because, you know, it's hard when those guys are so big and you really got to protect their feet. It's hard to to give them a stylish shoe. And I don't know how they're going to do it with Zion, but, you know, they better come up with something. Yeah, I mean, Katie is a big guy who his shoe, if you look at it, the silhouette, it looks like it's more of a guard shoe because it kind of plays like a guard. But his shoe always, like, seems like his shoe falls off, like, once every Yeah, they're really low. Yeah, he has a really low. I, I wore Katie's in college, and they were super low. They didn't fall off me, but uh, I'm a big Kobe fan. I think Kobe's are the best personally, you know, performance shoe. Well, here's a question now. So we both agree Zion has made himself some money by exploding a shoe in a game where people were playing Super Bowl prices to, to come watch right. watch him. You know, Obama, Griffey, Spike. Brains is MCL on the other leg. People are now like, all right. And a bunch of dudes from the league are like, all right, stop playing. Mm. Get ready for the combine. But you were there as a guy who was only there for one year mm. in the ACC. If you're Zion... What do you do? Are you making the basketball decision or the business decision? I think at this point, he's the clear-cut number one pick. I think there's nothing that he can do. As bad as it sounds, ACL injuries aren't as bad as they used to be. I think we've seen guys, Nolan's Noel come back from ACL. We've seen guys come back from injuries, and I don't think that it's going to happen to him. But 
when I was in college at, I'd say a little bit after the midpoint, I kind of knew I was going to have to make a decision whether I was leaving or, or staying. And that's what made the, the tournament so special to me just because I'm like, okay, this could be my only chance at a national championship. So, you know, as a college student and a guy who knows he's going to the NBA, I think it's hard to ask him to sit out his only college season. You know, he hasn't played an ACC tournament. He hasn't experienced the NCAA tournament. So I think he's going to come back and play. I, I think business-wise, it's smart to tell him to, to sit out just because he's not going to go any higher than number one, and he's already that. But, you know, as an experience, I definitely wish I would have got some more NCAA games in and we didn't get beat so early. But, you know, you can never get that back. And, and that's something that, you know, you could always play NBA games, but college, once it's over, it's over. So it's tough to ask him to sit out at this point. Yeah, I wish he had more NCAA games in as well because, one, I had money on Syracuse. <laughs> and, two, I was there in Buffalo with shout-out to Deshaun Pierre and the Dayton Flyers. Right, right, right. Uh, I was, like, literally beside their band, and all I could hear the rest of the night was, whoa, Dayton Flyers. It was so <laughs> annoying because uh, I had my Hughes gear on. So, yeah, we both were upset that night. <laughs> Back to All-Star, and, you know, around this time, you know, there's, it's not just a game. There's Legends Lunch. There's also... Some CBA meetings and the, the PA, you know, does their business because all the guys are, are often around and they name uh, some new representatives. So uh, Andre Godala was promoted. Also some team reps were promoted as well. Jalen Brown, Brogdon, Bismack Biombo. You were actually part of these meetings when the game was in Toronto yeah. and when LeBron and Melo and CP, who is still running things, it's kind of interesting because so many guys around the league like hate CP, but he's the, yeah, the leader the of, the, yeah. of the PA. We're running things. And that was a tug of war between fighting for the top dogs and fighting for, you know, the little guy. What what were those meetings like and, and what went down? Yeah, I mean, it, it was my first meeting. I think it was my first or second year in the league. So I was kind of there uh, because every team picks the rep and basically a backup rep if that guy's not going. So Somehow I always get picked to be the rep of the team, and obviously they know it's going to be in Toronto. So I went. Uh, I think every team had uh, representatives, at least one. But it was a uh, it was good insight because it's more so you know a brainstorm, just uh, the problems that the players have or what we think the league needs to change. So at that point, that was when we first said we wanted a shorter preseason, and we got that. Uh, I think the money went up already, so there was a bunch of stuff talked about. But what I noticed, and I think the league kind of did it with the new players that's in, is just we had I think four max guys in charge basically. And so when you're, you're up there and you're fighting for stuff, it's going to be, you know, issues that a max guy's having, Oh, we want more money. We want this. And one of the guys I respected a lot was Draymond just because he went from a second rounder making minimum money and he went up to a guy making max money, but he was, you know, very adamant about fighting for the guys that aren't making the money or the guys coming out of college that don't have a guaranteed deal as opposed to guys fighting for extra 10 million on top of the 30 million they're making already. So I think, the league did a better job this year of uh, kind of bringing in guys that of different stature. You know, you have Iguodala, who's a you know a veteran who's made his money. You have Jalen Brown, who hasn't made his money. You have Brogdon, who's about to make some money. So it's a different levels of guys where you're able to fight for everybody in the league as opposed to four guys fighting for some extra max dollars and the guys who are on a minimum not making anything. So I think it was it was good for them to to kind of re up and you know those four guys are kind of in their last years. LeBron, CP, Melo. And, you know, I think it's good to kind of get some younger guys in there and just to fight for every every aspect of being in the NBA, you know, whether you're a rookie, a veteran, a minimum guy, a max guy. So, you know, just to make the league better for everybody, not just the guys making all the money and, and selling the jerseys. Right. And you look at the Supermax, 
You look at the criteria that you have to qualify, the things you have to do, the amount of time you have to be in the league. It like lined up perfectly with CP's next deal. Right, right, right. Perfectly like to a T. So surely those guys were self-interested, right? right? They're trying to make sure that they take care of themselves. And there is a power structure in every locker room and in, in, in that meeting where your stature dictates how much clout you have. Right. And so you have guys like Melo and LeBron and CP who are saying things and everyone is going to follow them and listen because in a way they're the stars and they've raised the amount of money for everyone. Right, right. The big TV deal <clears throat> that happened that raised that amount of money is largely because of those guys. But also all you guys are competitive. Right. All you guys feel some type of way. And you don't want to basically be slave to whatever those guys want to do because you're worried about your own career. Exactly. And everybody, I think, if they're you know voted in to do that, it's going to look out for their themselves obviously but you know i think it's good to have different guys different guys of an older guy of a younger guy just because you know i think at the time they were talking about the, the median pay being like 10 million dollars and you know that sounds great but it's more so that you're making you have a guy on every team making 30 40 million and then you have you know a team like golden state where you have four guys making the bulk of the money and then you have a bunch of guys on minimum deals where you know, I think you make a decision to go to Golden State, but I also think, you know, if you have a guy making 40, I think CP's going to make 44 million, you know, in his last year and on this contract. But I don't think it's fair. I don't think CP is 44 times worth more than a guy like a rookie making 1 million on a, a minimum deal. I think, you know, if you're able to pay somebody that much money, I think the minimum has to go up. And, you know, I think the league's only getting better as as we go forward. So I think they're able to do that. And that's, you know, something that I think guys like Malcolm, who was making less than a million dollars in his first couple of years, will fight for, as opposed to having four max guys not really knowing what being a rookie, uh, unheralded rookie, undrafted rookie is like. So, right. If you're a first round pick, high first round pick, had a shoe deal from right. the beginning of your career, and yeah, then I've always made the max, you don't really know what you that's don't know like. what it is. Yeah. That's why I, I respect the stories I've heard about KG, who, you know, was one of the first guys, part of the reason why he's called Big Ticket, is one of the first guys who negotiated his own deals. And really stretched what individual players can make. But the stories I've heard about him, especially in his time in Boston, is when when we're out on the road, the whole team comes out to eat, I got to check. Right. Like, I'm taking care of everything for these guys because I know that I need them in order to stay at that max level. A guy who was like that in this market was DeMar. Mm-hmm. He comes back to Toronto. As much as people were excited about Raptors playing him for the first time in San Antonio, this was the game everyone circled in their calendar, got a massive ovation. I was watching it and thinking it must have been weird for him to play in what was his home gym Mm -hmm. on the road. What was your perspective of of Raptors versus Spurs? I think it was a good game. Obviously, DeMar, I think it's better for him as a player, honestly. He has a lot more on his plate. He has to to play make as opposed to, I think, feel like the Raptors, they kind of just gave it to him to score. Whereas now, you hear a bunch of people talking about how good of a passer he is and he didn't do that with the Raptors where he didn't need to. You know, they want him to go out and score as much as he can. But, you know, it's weird for me even, you know, I don't know how many years he spent here, what, eight, nine years or whatever it is. And me as a player, the most I spent in, in a place is two years. And even right. me, you know, me leaving Milwaukee and going back and playing there was weird for me. So I could imagine someone that's spent that much time and, you know, had his family settled here and whatnot. It's definitely weird, you know, to just walk in and, Security is telling you, no, nah, you got to go this way this time. You yeah. know, this, this is your locker room now. So it is weird as a player, but, you know, no matter what what the situation is, how much love you have for the former team, you always want to go out and kill. 
you know, and show them that they made a mistake or, you know, just show them, you know, what they're missing out on, especially if they traded you. So I know he had that in the back of his mind the whole game. As well as he played and, you know, as delighted as I was for the Raptors to come back and win a game that they probably didn't deserve to win. I kind of felt bad for him that the game was decided, you know, on a turnover right. that was forced between his best friend in the league, Kyle Lowry, and the guy who yeah, came in to yeah, replace yeah. him and Kawhi Leonard. The other thing I noticed in that game was, and I think it relates to the acquisitions that the team has made, is that they were letting the Raptors shoot from three. They were packing the paint. In the first half, Toronto was 12 of 22 from behind the three-point line. Only had five makes inside the arc, which is kind of crazy. And we saw that in the game before when Kawhi hit the game winner. On the most important play of the game, the defense that was set up for them was a 1-2-1 zone against Orlando. Again, they were giving them wide-open threes. Are you surprised that they're seeing so much zone and and basically being forced to shoot when it kind of makes sense they're 22nd in the league in in terms of three-point shooting? And how do the acquisitions... How can they help kind of combat that? Um, it's tough, honestly. I think that's why shooting's so important. The guys like CJ Miles, we talked about him a couple uh, segments ago, but you know him just being out there, whether he's making shots or not, you know if you're guarding CJ Miles and he hits a three, the coach is yelling at you, whether he's one for 10 or he's 10 for 10. So you know, just knowing a shooter's out there spaces the floor. And I think that's what his job was. And you know, before he got traded, I think the Raptors and the fans were on him about know, not making shots and kind of stepping his game up. But, you know, I think you need those guys on the team and you need them on the floor, you know, just for space for Kawhi, space for Pascal to drive. And, and you know, I don't think the Raptors have that anymore in their shooters. You have Danny Green, who's, you know, a floor spacer. But outside of him, you have guys who are able to knock down a shot, but you don't have legit knockdown shooters where, you know, if you leave them and your guy scores, you're getting chewed out, and you're off the court. And as a player and as a, a team, you, you realize that. You have so much scouting, and you know, as a team like Orlando is is uh, going to come in and, and give the Raptors their best shot, a team that's trying to fight to stay in the playoffs. But you know, I think the Raptors signed Jody Meeks to kind of fill that, but it's definitely a difference. A guy like Jody Meeks hasn't played in you know a year or almost a year. So I don't know if they're done making changes, but they do need a lot more shooting, I think, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, that's why them missing out on Ellington, missing out on West Matthews, I think was so key. And, of course, Terrence Ross, a guy who they used to have, came through, killed them in the right. exact type of player that they need. You mentioned Meeks, and he's he's been getting some run. Nick Nurse against Orlando, and, and don't sleep on Orlando. They've actually been playing well. Right. Even though it looks like a letdown game, you get up for the Spurs, you beat them. It was a playoff team in the West, Orlando. It's not as of today in the East. Orlando's actually been playing better than San Antonio has of late. In that loss to Orlando, Nurse played 11 dudes. And remember, Fred Van Vliet is hurt out for another month or so. Kawhi is on his load management, where at this point, it seems like he's playing every other game. 11 dudes. At some point, are you playing too many guys? And when do you need to figure out who's playing when with whom as we're now 21 games away from the postseason. I think that's what he's doing, honestly, because you have a bunch of new guys. I think three new guys adding in, four with McCaw, and then you have a bunch of guys who's been there for a while. But I think he's trying to figure out who he could trust out there, you know, what lineups work, and obviously trying to figure out the center spot with Serge and Mark. And, a, you know, he, I heard, I've seen some quotes where he's saying it kind of depends on matchups, but it's hard kind of bringing in three new guys that you're you're throwing into the rotation for if you count McCaw. So I think he's he's kind of still figuring that out and, as he gets closer, I think the rotation will shrink, but he's also managing doing that with 
keeping guys fresh. And Kawhi, it's easy to just sit him out, but it's hard to manage guys like Kyle, who's playing every game, and you know, mixing that in with Jeremy Lin, who hasn't been here for for more than a month, and then obviously when Van Vliet comes back, you got to integrate him. So it's you know not an easy job, I think, for Nick Nurse, but you know, I think that's a luxury to have. You know, you have. 11 guys you could throw in and as the playoffs come obviously the rotation shrinks but you could pick any one of those guys and even expand the rotation if you need to but you know I think every team in the league kind of shrinks the rotation to eight nine guys at the most once the playoffs come. Jeff Van Gundy said this to me and I never thought about it because I always look at depth being a strength but now that he says it and the more I think about it I think there's some credence to it. As a coach he felt like especially if you're struggling sometimes playing less guys is more. And so everyone gets two, three, four, five more minutes. They get a little bit more of a lather of sweat. They get a little more definition into the roles. They get more of an understanding of who they're going to be playing with. And rather than running 10 or 11 guys out there from 12 to 25 minutes, playing fewer guys and getting more out of them might be better. And when I look at this Raptors team opposite of when Casey was playing 10 to 12 guys a night last year, he was basically playing two lineups. Or three his starters, Larry plus the bench, and then the bench mob. Hmm. And so there was an understanding, even though he was playing a lot of guys, everyone kind of knew exactly who they're playing with and with whom. Now it's like musical chairs, right? right like it's, know, yeah. it's like uh, multiples upon multiples upon multiples where we don't know the, necessarily the big who's starting. We don't know if Kawhi's starting. We don't know who is starting for Kawhi if uh, Kawhi's not playing. And, and so that's why I feel like. Man, okay, McCaw experiment was nice. You know, the Meeks, he gives you some three-point shooting, but you lose a lot in terms of athleticism. I would rather just see Norm play more. Right. See OG play more and and have those guys kind of get some confidence going into the postseason. And I actually would, would like to see more of Lynn and Lowry together and mm-hmm. taking Lowry off the ball. Is there, I wonder, as a player, credence to... Well, there's going to be more guys who get DMP CDs, but the guys who do play actually feel like they played. No, for sure. And that's huge. I, I don't think you could talk about that enough is being comfortable and knowing your role. I think on the teams that I've played on where guys know the role, you know when you're coming in, you know when you're coming out. And obviously any given day foul trouble could change that. But, you know, when you know you're going in, all right, at the end of the first quarter, I'm going in. It gives you, you know, I think it's easier to play as opposed to guys you don't know if you're going in, you get thrown in the first quarter. And I've always found it you know, when I'm in the rotation and I'm playing consistent minutes, I know how much I'm going to play. I know when I'm going in. I know who I'm going to guard. You know, it's so much easier that you could just focus on playing as opposed to you and another guy kind of fighting for one spot. You don't know who's going to play. Coach could throw you in in the third. He could throw you in the fourth. You get in in the first. So you never know. And, and you're more so thinking about that and thinking about your minutes and why you should be playing and when you should be going in uh, instead of what you could do to help the team. And I think that's really important on the team and the teams that have done that and kind of set, you know, the rotation and set the roles. I think, you know, it gives the players a lot more comfortability going in the game and playing well. Yeah. When you see guys looking up at the clock during games, they're not just seeing like how many points or assists they have. They're looking at, okay, where are we in the game? I know I'm coming out at this point. I'm a little bit tired, but I can give it a bit more energy because right. I'm coming out soon. Exactly. Or I got to pace myself a little bit. So I'm not going to fight as hard to pick this guy up. You know, at three-quarter court, I'm going to pick him up at half court or at the three-point line, whatever the case may be. I think all of those small things go a long, long way. Right. This has been fun, man. 
Appreciate yeah. it. We'll, Appreciate we'll see it. what the what the new acquisitions look like moving forward over the next uh, couple weeks. It's crazy. There's only 21 games left. I'm back quick. And, and then we're talking playoffs. Always fun to talk to you. Always fun to have you listen. So make sure you like, you subscribe, you share, you favorite. And hit us up on Twitter, at Donovan Bennett. Hit up Tyler Ennis and Emil as well. We love uh, any interaction you get from our fans. So keep it coming. This is Free Association from Sportsnet.